Hello, and welcome to part seven of the Fincher Countdown from Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and today on the podcast, fear not, listeners, we won't be speaking at Sorkin Speed in our review of the David Fincher's Oscar-winning 2010 drama, The Social Network. Joining me, as always, are two people who also did not get punched by the Phoenix, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Guys, how's it going? I'm doing pretty well, Scott. It's uh, it was It was a very seasonable fall morning. It was like 50 degrees this morning when I took my dog for a walk outside. And uh, it felt right, given the context of the film that we watched, because it's set, you know, during the school year, just up the street from where I live at Harvard. Um, And it it felt like, you know, a couple scenes uh, in the film early on or in the fall. And I was like, wow, this is this is this is the season that we're in now. I I don't really know what happened to spring or summer, but I guess we're in fall now. And so it's going well. I mean, the weather's really nice here. I feel like my mood has picked up dramatically as as uh, the, over the last like week or so as the weather has cooled a little bit and it's been very seasonable outside to get outside and not feel like I'm melting. Uh, maybe I've just been, become a baby over the last seven years because obviously I grew up in a lot warmer climes than Boston uh, it, back uh, down in Tennessee. But I don't know. I, I guess I, I'm doing pretty well. The question is, were you wearing a gray hoodie and uh, like the Nike slides or whatever, like uh, Mark Zuckerberg is for most of this movie? Yeah, I, I didn't wear sweatpants to my to my uh, legal counsel hearing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, Jay, how about you? How are you doing? Good. I, I need to harp on that for a sec because I can't tell if you were making a joke or if all the Adidas product placement just went over your head. Oh, yeah. Those are the true. Adidas what? slides. I just, I just had to be happy. sure. Well, was that, what was, was that? The hoodie is Gap, isn't it? The hoodie, sure, but I'm talking about the, yeah. the the slides he's wearing, which we you know we get a nice close up of at least like four times. Yeah. I feel like, dude, gotta make bank, man. Of course. In a movie, no, we're, we're talking like about Audi not running ads to man. not end the part the party early. We have to get as many Adidas ads thrown in as possible. Yeah, well, and actually, Mark Zuckerberg has said that one of the few things that he thinks the film got right is his wardrobe. What he what he uh, you know wore during this time. He says the movie did get that right. So there you go. Oh, he, he doesn't think the movie got right how much of a dick he is? No, surprisingly not. Um, surprisingly not. Um, but we'll, we'll get into some of the accuracies or inaccuracies of the film a little later. But um, yeah, all right. Well, as mentioned, today's movie is a little old film called The Social Network. Released in 2010, The Social Network is Fincher and screenwriter Aaron Sorkin's somewhat liberal adaptation of the story of Facebook's founding. Opening at Harvard University in 2004, the film introduces us to Jesse Eisenberg's Mark Zuckerberg, an embittered computer whiz who has just been justifiably dumped by his girlfriend Erica, played by Rooney Mara. After a few beers and a hostile blog post, Mark is even more agitated and decides to take out his frustration with Erica and seemingly all other women by starting a website where Harvard students can rate girls based on their directory photos. The website quickly catches the attention of the high-achieving Winklevoss twins, played by Army Hammer, who want Zuckerberg to assist them in creating their own idea for a dating site marketed to elite college students. Instead of assisting them, however, Zuckerberg decides to take their idea, mold it, and make it his own with the help of best friend Eduardo Saverin, played by Andrew Garfield. Before they know it, their pet project has become a full-time business, and their differing approaches to running the business start to drive a stake between the two friends that threatens to put the burgeoning company in jeopardy. Guys, The Social Network is one of the most acclaimed films of the 2010s, and since we've all seen it before, I'd love to briefly hear about your past experiences with the film before we get to the review. Uh, Jay, we'll start with you. I have seen this movie 
six times, <laughs> seven times, I, I think is, is roughly where I think that number comes in. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, I, I, it's, it's one of the few films I feel like I've watched that many times. And, you know, the number of films I've done that with is even smaller when you remove the Chris Nolan filmography. Um, this, this is one of the few I've seen that many times. And I always really, really enjoyed it. Scott, how about you? So I've seen this film the fewest times because I've only seen it once before this. And it was in theaters. Pretty sure I was on a date and saw this film. And I can tell you that at least I didn't speak to my girlfriend at the time uh, the way that Mark's like, right. I didn't learn any lessons from Mark in, in that front. But no, honestly, I had like many of the Fincher films we're talking about here. I didn't have much memory of it other than that I know that I really liked it. Uh, but I, I couldn't necessarily really tell you why other than Aaron Sorkin's the writer. And I'm yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm the biggest Aaron Sorkin fan of all time. But I really like Aaron Sorkin. Uh, I don't want to say that just because I know uh, my co-host here, Scott Harvey, can one-up me on, in the Aaron Sorkin fandom, most likely. Uh, so I, I don't want to say I'm the biggest of all time. But I am a big Aaron Sorkin fan. And and so my expectations were very high going into this. In fact, if you listen to our top 10 uh, movies of the decade podcast, The Social Network was in my top 20. It wasn't in my top 10, but it was in my top 20 after I only haven't seen it once uh, back in 2010. That's how much of an effect it did have on me. So my expectations were about as high as you could get for this countdown. Yeah, I'm more in the J camp on this one. I see, I've seen this movie many times. Um, I usually watch it once or twice a year. According to my letterbox, the last time I watched it prior to this was April 9th of this year, so pretty recently as well. Um, and yeah, it's it's a great film. Obviously, it was in my top 10 of the decade. I think it's in my 40s on my like top 100 all-time list. So, um, But, you know, weirdly enough, it didn't quite start out that way because um, when I first watched this movie you know, back after it was like right after it came out on DVD, because I remember, you know, everyone was talking about this. Oh, this is the best film of the year or whatever, 2010. Um, well, it, the Academy didn't say that, but, um, well, but I was that's, saying Inception came out in 2010. So your, and your point is, <laughs> um, and that but was anyway, um, yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, but you know, m- most of the people that I listened to were saying uh, the social network is the best film of the year. And I, you know, I had I didn't see it until it came out on DVD. I watched it and I was like, that was good. Um, but I was like, I don't know what why everyone was freaking out about that. And then I'm not sure really when it clicked for me, but, you know, maybe a year or two later or so when I watched it again. Um, yeah, it, it obviously became a favorite of mine. I, I think um, maybe there's just a lot to take in the first time. Um, yeah, I don't know, because I am such a Sorkin fan. I, I, I don't know exactly what my Sorkin fandom was like back in 2010, though. Right. I, I don't I mean, I'm I know I'd seen a few good men at that point, but like, I don't know if I'd gotten into West Wing or anything like that. But that's I think the summer after ninth grade, it's pretty, pretty yeah. early, right? Like the news. I mean, we, ha- we hadn't watched the newsroom yet or anything like that. Yeah. So maybe I was like soon to get into the West Wing. I'm not sure. But uh, the point is, I think maybe with more context for Aaron Sorkin, and and obviously, you know, I would like I was 15 years old at the time, right? There, there are plenty of movies that like I watched when I was younger, and maybe I liked them, and then they have diminished over the years, or vice versa. Um, I think obviously my my film uh, tastes have matured over the years, um, as everyone's do. So that probably plays a role in it too. But yes, Aaron Sorkin is my favorite writer. He's done my favorite movie of all time. He's in my favorite TV series of all time. Um, and so, yeah, I think everything he touches turns to gold and this was no exception, but um, let's get to this viewing then of the movie. And uh, we'll start with Jay again, Jay, after 10 years, does the social networks, no holds barred portrayal of the birth of Facebook still feel fresh 
or as Zuckerberg's story lost some of its vitality in our even more digitally focused world? No, I mean, it, it lives up. I can't even pretend. I, I had this like spiel that I was going to go on about how this movie is just Adidas product placement. And <laughs> I don't get why Spider-Man doesn't stop Lex Luthor when he has the chance, but I, I can't even like pretend this, this movie definitely lives up. I don't want to like jump the gun too much here, but like, I think, you know, I'm ready for a sequel. Um, but just to, just to talk about this movie, Aaron uh, Sorkin's not ready for a sequel. Actually, in 2019, Aaron Sorkin said the door was open because a lot of stuff has happened since the end of the movie. Somebody so, read the Wikipedia page. There I did go. read the Wikipedia page. Um, Aaron Sorkin has said there's sequels to many things that he's done that are that are prime for the taking, and he isn't going to do any of them. I guarantee it. I mean that that's fine. Um, this this is all to say. I mean, yes, the movie the movie very much lives up. Like I, I would want to see another movie, like you know made by the same like cast and crew i mean you know not everyone needs to come back and we'll get to that in a second but um yeah it it still feels fresh it still feels fun it still feels relevant um and i I think you know i think it kind of lays the groundwork for how you know such a i don't know massive company was founded in a way that's believable make like you know makes all like the, the logical steps in building it like make sense while you know still holding up you know like like you know still making it like like a, a fun like you know drama about like again like now i feel like i'm quoting the wikipedia page but literally it's a story about like you know betrayal and like you know chasing money and like it, i mean but like it's true you know and like that you know all of that still makes it like a fun story like even if it is like framed to the you know the story of the founding of facebook so like both like as a how did facebook come to be and then also just as a story i think this movie you know really holds up yeah, it, it is true with some liberties. Although I, you probably you might have seen this on there, Jay, but like there's some website that like determines accuracy of movies. I think they determined that this movie was like 76 percent like historically accurate based on the facts. So not bad, I guess. I, I think not as bad probably as some of the involved parties made it out to be. But um, but Scott, uh, what about your feelings on social network after this watch? Yeah, I, I think the the key thing that I want to laser focus in on that it was what struck me particularly Scott and I told you this I think I think I texted you about this over the weekend it's just that this movie is so ridiculously watchable like it is just so engaging it flies by I, I mean like I I we talk about on the podcast a lot although less recently I will say about movies and just harping on about how movies are like too long and I'm not even saying that this mil- this film could be longer is what but like when you're watching it the time flies by when you're watching it. and it's impressive i think especially because and i think it's like a two-sided coin i guess like one side is that that is just kind of how aaron sorkin like it's very fast paced it's very zippy things go by but there's also just like so much being said like his scripts are so much longer than everyone else's because of how many how many lines he just fits in like how much talking there is in the film um and sometimes i think there there's a film or two where that can be a little bit painful like you can really feel drawn out at times and feel unnecessary but just nothing about the social network feels like that at all. And it's like one of those things where like the movie ended, like the credits rolled. And I'm like, what? It's been two hours. And so rarely do I say that when I'm watching a film. Like sometimes I'll be like, oh, nice. Like this film didn't feel like two hours or two and a half hours. But like so rarely is it the case where I go, wow, that was all, that was already two hours. And that's the way like that is what the credits rolling in the social network felt like for me. And I think that is the thing that stuck out to me the most. And all that's to say is that this film's awesome. Like this film is just so good. Uh, the performances are spectacular. Like I was, 
I mean, I was all in on Jesse Eisenberg from from the get go. I think he's fantastic in in this particular role, and I wasn't necessarily all in uh, on some of the other performances. But by the end, all the performances, I was just kind of thinking, "Wow, these everyone feels perfectly cast to me in, in terms of the lead roles, the main roles here." And I think everyone absolutely, I mean, crushes it. I, I know that whatever Andrew Garfield's not Brazilian, and why is a British American actor playing a Brazilian in the film? But and Max Minghella is not Indian either, like yeah, Divya Narendra yeah, was. Yeah, touche. Um, but it's just like I don't know. They they crush it. It doesn't really matter that much. I mean, they, it does matter. Right? Like it, it does matter a little bit. But the performances are just so strong that it's easy to not worry too much about that. And between that and the dialogue for the most part, and just like the whole, like everything just works in this film. Almost everything works. To your point, though, like Divya Narendra was apparently initially concerned that there was no, that there wasn't an Indian actor playing him. But then after he saw the movie, he actually like thought that Max Minghella did a really good job. So I don't know. But yeah, see, it definitely does matter. Like we don't need to be casting, you know, freaking Matt Damon as as a Chinese person or whatever happened in the Great Wall. But um but anyway, that's that's another conversation. Um, yeah. yeah, this movie is a perfect film, in my opinion. Um, I, I can't really point to any, um, you know, discernible flaws in it. I think um, it hasn't really aged, you know, after these 10 years. Um, I think it, what it's saying is is still very fresh. It's, it's, it's fascinating to watch this now with more context for Facebook, right? Particularly in recent years, what Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg have become, um, I listened to a podcast about the movie recently where someone was like, well, you know, this movie does make Mark Zuckerberg out to look really smart. And it seems like in recent years, what we've learned is that he's not really that smart. So uh, I think that's probably just some of the consequences of Sorkin, right? Because I think all of his characters sound smart. As long as the actors can deliver the lines in the proper cadence and everything, which they can here, then the characters sound smart. Um, but yeah, maybe Mark Zuckerberg isn't actually. Maybe he's smart about some things and not about other things. I think that's probably a, a more accurate thing. But I think that's what makes the movie so interesting, right? Is that it's a, a movie at its heart about this guy who literally pioneered like a major, major way that we communicate with each other nowadays. Nowadays, And what we see over the course of the movie is he doesn't know how to communicate with any of the people in his own life. So there's a really interesting paradox there. Um, and Steve Jobs, right, which which uh, which Aaron Sorkin did five years later, is the same way. I think they're very good companion pieces to each other. Um, but I think that uh, is what makes the movie so fascinating, that he is sort of this antisocial guy who's inventing uh, uh, the you know the way that we communicate with each other nowadays um which is fascinating to me but yeah cast yeah. is amazing yeah, Go i ahead. was gonna say to to a point similar to what you're talking about here i think like particularly with how sorkin does right and related to the cast like it i think that this almost feels like the pinnacle of his writing because he has a group of characters where like his like ridiculously frenetic talking pace like actually makes a lot of sense like there's just a bunch of like arrogant assholes like talking crap yeah. to each other and like his dialogue kind of always comes off like that and so it's just like right at home in, in that sweet spot of like all these like harvard elitists talking to each other and trying to one-up each other and it, and it just like it works perfectly because it, it just feels very fine-tuned to to the type of dialogue he wants and always does right anyway yeah, totally. Uh, and, you know, the thing about Sorkin, right, is that I think the people who don't like him are like, well, people don't really talk like that. And yes, they don't really talk like that. But 
we kind of wish that they do. And I mean, at least that is what I always say about Sorkin and why he appeals to me is that, yes, you know, but movies are wish fulfillment, like in, not just in, in dialogue uh, in, you know, in terms of dialogue, but in, in so many ways, uh, yeah. there are I have things, some bad news for them about their superhero films. Yeah. There aren't any superheroes like that. There are so things that we see on screen that are not realistic, but um, that are awesome. And so we, uh, you know, we we uh, that is what movies are for. But I, I do want to get into that a little bit later, though, about whether we think maybe just because the dialogue is so like fun to listen to that it maybe it like glamorizes the characters in any way when maybe they shouldn't be glamorized. But um, but that's that's a conversation for later. I think Sorkin's script is so on point for this movie. I, I think even the people who aren't Sorkin fans should be able to see what he's doing here. Um, is a lot more meaningful maybe than in some movies where he's kind of showing off a little bit with the dialogue, right? Where maybe people are just dropping, you know, witty lines and stuff just for the sake of, uh, of dropping them here. I think it's, you know, the, the scenes are so important to the movie, like the, the opening scene, right? Yes. It's incredibly fun to listen to, but it's also setting up so much about Mark Zuckerberg's character that you're going to see played out over the next two hours. And so, um, and again, that's something we're going to talk about in a little bit, but I think this film again, flawless, one of the best of the decade. Um, one of Fincher's best, of course, one of Sorkin's best. Um, and, Finally got him an Oscar. I mean, he was his first nomination somehow, but um, got him got him the Oscar that he richly deserved. Um, and yeah, I think the movie holds up ridiculously well 10 years later. Um, whether it will, you know, more decades later, I don't know. But for now, chef's kiss. Um, Can't believe he didn't get a nomination for his acting performance in this film. I know. Yeah, uh, he's he he does generally appear appear in a lot of his stuff, but um but yeah, so moving on, uh, guys, to get into some more specifics about the film, let's talk about the cast um, because there are some some big names here. Obviously, you know, if you're talking about your your leads here, I kind of would put it down to, or you know, if you're talking about your Harvard leads, you got Jesse Eisenberg as Mark Zuckerberg, you have uh, Eduardo Savern played by Andrew Garfield, and you have Army Hammer playing both of the Winklevoss twins, Cameron and, and Tyler Winklevoss. Um, of these three cast members, you know, are they all solid? Does anyone stand out to you um, from, you know, these these sort of lead members of the cast? Scott, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, look, kind of like I was alluding to earlier on when I was just talking about general impressions, I think from the start, I really felt grabbed and, and hooked by Jesse Eisenberg's performance. I think it's like it's dialed in from that opening scene. I mean, that I think that opening scene is just such a tone setter for the whole film. And I don't know, like, I I don't know if Eisenberg will ever really break out of in my mindset of being Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, I mean, Lex Luthor just really feels just like some sort of like riff on on his Mark Zuckerberg character. Not that that his Lex Luthor lasted that long in the DCEU anyway. But uh, yeah, nobody associates him with Lex Luthor. I mean, yeah, that's not uh, true. At least I don't. Well, yeah, but that's I mean, com comic, comic book movie fans. But um, I think I guarantee he made more money as Lex Luthor than he did in any in any other film. Okay. Please I'm just, just saying more people see please it. continue just please continue I'm just saying more people more people saw that movie than than the social network um I I think yeah but I think that this is this is his iconic role right like this is this is his iconic performance to me it's what I mean it's, I think it's certainly really what put him on on the map for a lot of people and overall like it's a memorable performance but by the end of it I don't know I think I might have liked Andrew Garfield more by the end because I think that he's a bit of a meh character because you don't get much of him early on and you get so much of him in the in the back half and i think that kind of climactic scene in the facebook office at the end is just 
I mean, it's probably the best acting in in the film from him. Just you know, completely losing his mind with with um, with Eisenberg's Zuckerberg, and I think it's I think it's probably the best moment of acting in the film for me. And so by the end, I'm like, maybe I'm one over by this performance. I think it's two fantastic lead performances there. I think Army Hammer's great, but he's standing next to two performances for me that are just slightly better than him. And and I think it's incredible because it's one of the early instances where you have someone playing two characters in the same film. And this film does it a little bit differently than a lot of other movies do it with in terms of like body doubles and things like that. But I think it re- it's always a really impressive. And I think it's often underrated how impressive it is for someone to play two characters in the same, uh, in the same film. I know it's been done plenty of times before him with Eddie Murphy and uh, multiple other people like coming to America and Tyler Perry did a lot in his movies. Um, but it's really impressive here in this particular instance. And with the Winklevoss twins who are almost always on the screen at the same time together. Um, I think, I think every time they appear, they're in the same, they're on the same scene, which isn't always the case in a lot of those other movies. So yeah, great jobs all around from the Harvard leads. And I'd say Zuck, uh, as Eisenberg and Garfield are slightly ahead of the rest. Well, Scott stole my, uh, stole my entire spiel. Um, but I, I have to say I'm pretty much in agreement with him and that, yeah, like, you know, the, the main three we're talking about all come through, uh, you know, like great marks all around. Again, I, th- I think Andrew Garfield was kind of my surprise performance uh, by the end. Cause yeah, although, you know, Jesse Eisenberg is definitely, you know, the, the poster child for this movie. And like, you know, again, it's like, you know, has you like, you know, has command of you like from the get go. By the end, you know, like you said, so that, you know, climactic scene at the Facebook office, like, you know, watching Andrew Garfield just lose his mind, you know, again, I'm, I'm literally just copying you now, but here we are. Um, yeah, works. I mean, I, I will give a little less props to, okay, so I, I, I go back and forth on whether or not I think it was intentional that Army Hammer did basically nothing different when playing the two twins, like nothing like in the voice or anything. Like, I, I really couldn't tell if that was like a, a creative choice to just literally have them be like, you know, there's two of me. Like, there's you know, all there those was, lines of like, joke. I'm the exact uh, same person as my brother. No, I think it is very intentional. Right? And yeah, it's just like, and it's like, I mean, at, at some points, like I honestly couldn't tell who was who. And in like one scene where I specifically thought I knew who was who, I was wrong. And I was just like, all right. The like, hairstyle. You know, I, That's how you tell. But that, like that, like they were just always different, but they weren't always the same. You know, like there's that final scene when they're in the UK and like, I think it's Tyler has his hair completely slicked back. See, like, I don't even remember it. It just, it, it's, it was, it was it was hard for me to keep up with that specific point. Not to um, take us on another tangent, but you're telling me you can see a difference. I know. I, I, I Christian knew you were Bale doing the Prestige. I knew you were gonna go there. Yes, I can tell that Christian Bale is playing two different people in the Prestige, but I can't tell the difference between the two people that Army Hammer is playing in this movie. The 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 big three all do well. That that was my bottom line. Andrew Garfield, you know, maybe a hair ahead of Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, no, they're all really solid. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to underestimate Army Hammer too much because I think you know I, I think this type of performance is always really difficult. Like you know he like like you alluded to Scott, he's acting opposite a body double, right? And then they you know face off this entire thing where they just like grafted his face onto um, the the body double or whatever. Um, they, like they they used VFX to um, to like digitally graft his face again like i said like face off style um and that's how they did it but oh really they, so they didn't they didn't they didn't stitch multiple takes together where he was playing different brothers that's not my understanding of, of how oh wow that. okay that's um well that makes it less impressive doesn't it i don't know maybe maybe it's more impressive i'm not sure well yeah i guess i don't know but he's he's acting opposite you know someone who is not I mean, it's it's kind of an inceptiony thing to think about, I guess. But so um, it's, it's not like us last year, where, where Lupita Nyong'o was literally no. playing both characters and playing off against 
a green, like essentially a green screen. Yeah, I, there, there was a body double. It's not. Like I know that. there's a body. There is a body. No, but like, like in every yeah, and then he was at like what Scott Harvey said is yeah, like, correct. Interesting. Okay, that well, I think that makes it less impressive, but doesn't matter. Well, it's still a anyway. good performance. Anyway, what we're saying is, uh, I, I think it's impressive, right? Like kind of what Jay's talking about that he's able to do the the same thing with two different characters. Yeah, maybe he's just like maybe he's not even thinking of of it as two different characters, but whatever. The end product works, um, and I think. You know, they, their characters don't get off scot-free in this movie either, um, which I think is important. I, I think they are they are uh, they do snob, snobbish very well, um, too, which is important, I think, because, again, the Winklevoss twins, I don't think, are excused in all of this. I think at the end of the day, you know, their whole lawsuit and everything is nothing more than you know, them crying over spilt milk, in my opinion. But um, as but the Harvard it, president would tell them. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, um yeah, they're, so they're, you know, Army Hammer strong. But yeah, Garfield is really, really good in this. Um, and I still think that, I still do think his performance last year from Under the Silver Lake is probably my favorite performance of his. But um, this is a close second. I, I I do love that scene in the in the room at the end, in the office at the end where he, you know, goes mental. Um, because he's so composed for the rest of the movie, right? And it's just, you just, you know, see the, the various slights over the course of the movie start to wear on him um yeah and then it all it all builds up obviously the ultimate slap in the face at the end um with uh you know him being basically you know having all of his ownership stake in the company um d- diluted but um so I, I yeah i mean i think he's really good in eisenberg yeah he you know he it is a little bit of like a robotic performance i think because that's what the the character calls for for sure but he delivers the Sorkin dialogue so well, which is which is an art in and of itself. And I do think he's asked to do a little bit more emotionally down the the final act of the movie than that. I think he does that very well. So I don't have any complaints about these three members of the cast. Um, it's, he's robotic, but I think he's emotional throughout the film, even like even from the opening scenes, like he's acting kind of like a robot, but he's like full of rage, which is like still an emotion. I think he has to show in his ro- in his roboticness, if that's a word. Um in his robo-ness? I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. But um, let's talk about the supporting cast a little bit um, because there are a few notable names there. Um, you know, obviously I mentioned Rooney Mara only has a couple scenes in the movie, but definitely makes an impact. Justin Timberlake is probably the big uh, name in the supporting cast here. He shows up playing Sean Parker, founder of Napster. Um, Max Minghella, as you mentioned, plays Divya, who's kind of the third person who ends up suing. Well, you know, there's a lot of lawsuits going on, but he's involved with the Winklevoss twins and, and, you know, ends up joining their lawsuit as well. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, there's other names down the list. Brenda song obviously has a slightly significant role, but who stands out for, t- uh, to you from the supporting cast, Jay? We'll go, we'll go one good one. Meh. Um, a good being Rooney Mara. Um, I mean, like you said, you know, she's only on screen for a little bit, but I think it's super, like, you know, effective in the time she's given. You know, again, we're gonna we're gonna keep talking about this opening scene, um, but you know, like right from the get go, like I feel like you know you you get so much about like you know the frustration that she's dealing with trying to put up with a guy like you know the way Mark Zuckerberg has been written, and it you know it's all just there. Like it, it should you know is really good. And then the one that my just biggest kinda, question is. How are they dating to start with? I mean, yeah, like you, 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 there's a little bit of you know you have to take take a leap there to kind of just wonder how, why she was ever with him in the first place and how long. I'm trying to imagine Mark would be like, no, no, I take offense to this. I was never dating a girl before college. 
But he does say, you know, he didn't found Facebook to get girls or whatever. He's like, it was a creative, you know, project for me. Whatever. I think he nailed the voice there. Good okay, job. So tell us more how you feel about Mark Zuckerberg, Scott Harvey. <laughs> You're just on a roll. Please continue, Jay. <laughs> and then, okay, so again, no, no bad performances in the movie. And I want to say that like JT does well. But every now and then I just find myself thinking, you know, that's Justin Timberlake. And it's... Take it back. It's weirdly like I mean again I I think he does well I think he plays the character really well but does no one else find it just like the slightest bit distracting no you know it's it's okay, weird that it's his just me then it's weird that his character right is like railing on the music industry the whole time when Justin Timberlake is like such a like almost industry plant nowadays like he you know he's making songs for like freaking the trolls movies and all this stuff like it's is funny he... to see this character who like you know is 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 kind of anti music industry or whatever because you know of what Sean Park went through in real life um that is so much and a, a you know element of the music industry nowadays it's I, weird and like don't don't get me wrong like i you know when when jt had he had like i want to say at least like three films come out within a couple of years around like either was that it was benefits. benefits yeah and like yeah. i saw them all i wasn't like you know oh this is weird he shouldn't be in movies but it i don't know in this like specific scene and maybe it's because partially what you're saying scott harvey that he's railing against the music industry the entire time it just it feels a little weird but you know that doesn't it's mean a it's bad. Like I mean, I said, really... it's, a, it's a good performance. Like I, I led with that. Yeah, yeah, so I... yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, Rooney Mara gets to absolutely gut Jesse Eisenberg multiple times in this film, and there's there's nothing greater in those moments than him than her absolutely handing it to him in two separate scenes. But I, I will talk about Justin Timberlake because I think he's awesome in this film. I think that he like almost ends up being better than Garfield and Eisenberg. I don't think he quite gets there. Um, because of the consistency of the performances from the other two throughout the whole movie. But I think he's fantastic. It's like super believable that you that you have this like to me, this like superstar, this like music industry icon in Justin Timberlake playing this like in the, this like ex music industry guy who I didn't really necessarily see him hitting on what I would call the music industry, but like music in like the people who make money off the music industry, like the produce like the labels, the producers, and like that. I, I wanted to almost go look at someone if his like label had dropped him like <laughs> right before this movie or something that he just wanted to get like some revenge on them and and rail on them a little bit because I think he's not really like anti like artists, right? Like he's he's anti yeah, like yeah. the machine of it all. So but that's I, what I'm saying. He him nowadays like you the, you really can't separate him as an artist from the machine because he is he is putting out like machine processed music that like is just built for uh you know radio adult contemporary radio whatever like he's not taking yeah. any risks with what he's doing basically yeah that, that, that that's probably fair I, i'm not educated enough to to assess that but i definitely trust your judgment on that one uh so yeah i think it's a really interesting role and i loved it like i i totally believed it i, I think you almost need someone who's of like the star power of Justin Timberlake to play that role. Because I think you have to really appreciate the way that Jesse Eisenberg Zuckerberg views him. And I don't think that you can do that with a nobody. Um, not that, I mean, any of these body, any of these people in this, in this movie are nobodies, but they're relative nobodies. There aren't really that many big names in this film. I mean, army hammer, that was like the first major role army hammer had done. Like had, I don't think Andrew Garfield had done anything big. I'm not even sure Jesse Eisenberg had done anything that big yet. And, so to I mean I guess he I guess Zombieland was performed before this, but I think overall it's just like you he is like the superstar in this film and it kind of just feels right where he's sitting in this film. And I think he absolutely delivers on this role of this like magnetic 
tech icon that Mark Zuckerberg would look up to and who would be the devil on his shoulder whispering in his ear if Eduardo Saverin's the angel. And I mean, I don't know if you want to phrase that, frame it that way or not. Um, Cause I think Eduardo Saverin's probably the only person who gets out of this film relatively unscathed, Yeah, uh, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later, but I, yeah, I think JT for me is the standout performance, but boy, does Rooney Mara get her share. Yeah. Well, Rudy Mara, like this is so much like Sorkin does this in the West wing where he'll just have like, like, this is like the movie version of that where he'll just have like this, some random character who shows up for like one episode in the West wing and just like, you know, destroys every scene that they're in. Like John Larroquette has this one episode that I was just thinking about off the top of my head. I don't think he's not in another episode, I think in the whole series, but like, I remember his character and remember the whole like setup of the character and everything because, you know, he makes such an impact in, in his one episode. And that's kind of what Rooney Mara is here to do. Right. She has, you know, she shows up in one other scene later in the movie, but it's really, it really is just about this one scene. Um, and yeah, she, she goes toe to toe. She, you know, rips into that Sorkin dialogue and it sounds, sounds great. Um, and I think, you know, she's, she's always good in my opinion. Um, and this is a great uh, introductory role sort of for her. Um, She'll get yeah. a follow up next week. Justin Timberlake, I think you you nailed it there, Scott, in saying that, yeah, I, I totally believed him as like this guy who, you know, someone like Mark Zuckerberg, who's very obsessed with status, would really get like, you know, drawn to to this guy who comes in and is throwing his cash around, buying, you know, drinks and everything for everybody. And, yeah. you know, says what's cooler than a million dollars, a billion dollars, you know, yeah. but who's uh, also an outsider like Zuckerberg, yeah. like he is. Cause right. He, but. Because yeah, because Napster got, you know, everything that went down with Napster went down with Napster. And so Sean Parker was kind of on the outside at this point. Um, but yeah, so I, I think Justin Timberlake, it was, it was a good casting choice. I think uh, he, he embodied that well. Weirdly enough, you know who was originally supposed to play this role? Y'all might have looked this up, but Jonah, I didn't look up anything about this film. Jonah Hill, which I think would not have worked as well at all. And that's, I mean, Fincher was the one who rejected that. So um, I I could not see that after seeing this film. But uh, Again, yeah. he did it with Wolf of Wall Street like a couple years later, I guess. So. Yeah, but yeah, definitely a different role in my opinion. But um, it is. It is a different role yeah. for sure. But um, but then, I mean, I also want to mention for her brief one scene, J- Dakota Johnson, right? Because she has one sort of entertaining scene as well. I, it's honestly one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Like, I, I might go ahead and call dibs on it for end of the um, end of the, you know, when we get into our wrap up, because uh, I know I always have to go last. But uh, but it's a great scene with, between her and Justin Timberlake. Um, and, you know, again, an, an early film role for her, which is which is cool. But it was when- shocking when she sh- popped up on screen because I, I did not remember that she was in the film mm-hmm. and I was like, but yeah so the, so that was the introductory role for her but let's spend a moment talking about the technical aspects of the movie like obviously it's not like a you know blow you away from a technical perspective type of movie but there there is one kind of cool slightly vfx sequence with the rowing um right w- with the uh the regatta that's going on between harvard and um you know and is that vfx the, the dutch team well there's like some some sort of effects that he's using to like speed up the pace of the scene and stuff like that right like the um because it doesn't look exactly right like it's not playing out in in real time like that there there's weird effects going on um there's something i i read about it i forget exactly what it's called but um 
I, if, if you if you go to the Wikipedia page or something, there's a, a little technique that he used or something in this called like cool. mirroring something. I don't know, but uh, it looks really cool in my opinion. But um, yeah. and then um, but then the score obviously is something we're talking about. It won the Oscar. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Um, this might have been like one of their first scores together. Honestly, um, obviously Trent Reznor was better known for being front man of nine inch nails, but, um, but you know, he and Atticus Ross have gone on to have a very successful, um, career scoring films now, not just for Fincher, but for, for other folks as well. But, um, anything, but especially sta- for Fincher, anything stand out to you guys, uh, from these technical aspects, Scott, I'll go to you first, since obviously you want to talk about the score. Of course I want to talk about the score. Cause the score is absolutely freaking amazing in this film. I mean, uh, yes, there are probably more. There, pro- there are better scores in the 2010s, probably. But this one's just like so good. I mean, it just fits the movie perfectly. And I think if you just, if you were just were told what the score was and what the film was, I don't think that you'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense that they're going for that, you know, that vibe with the score. But man, just everything about their score works. And to your point, Scott, this actually is their second film. I guess it's their first film together. Um, I yeah, I'm just looking at their yeah. So they did. So I guess. Attica, Trent Reznor and did Lost Highway in 1997, um, but not with Atticus Ross. <laughs> that David then, Lynch movie? Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, but then he did the so, the Social Network was their first score together. I'm very curious what brought them together to do that for Fincher. Uh, but anyway, they yeah, so it was their first. All right, man, man, like I'm not sure that they've done better since then, except for maybe Watchmen this past year. I don't know. Watchmen was pretty good this past year, but this is amazing stuff. I mean, there's a reason why it's the intro and the outro for this podcast series. Like it's absolutely iconic score. And for some reason, somehow, some way it fits perfectly with the movie. And I don't, I don't even know if I can really tell you how it fits perfectly with the film, but it does. Um, miniature faking is the name of the technique that he used in the rowing scene, but uh, oh, to, so it's like stop motion sort of animation, a high speed effect. Yeah. But, um, but uh, Jay, how about, how about you? Any, any other thoughts in addition to what Scott had to say? Nothing too new. I mean, I agree. I think the score works perfectly, and I can't exactly pinpoint why. Like, it feels like it just, you know, carries, like, the weight of, like, everything that's happening really well. Like, I don't know. I, I feel just, like, kind of, like, heavy. Like, I, I don't know. if I, like I, it's, it's hard to describe, but I just feel, like, heavy watching this film, and I feel like, you know, that the score kind of helps me, like, lean into that a little bit and kind of just, like, realizing, you know, this has got, you know, when this is going from you know this idea to again this is like you know millions and millions of dollars of lawsuits you know one from his best friend like i feel like it i, I just it just works really really well and you know to the point about uh you know trent Reznor's involvement i mean the fact that you know he i mean a guy like that who you know i think gave a bunch of his music away right or posted uh, a few of his albums like for free online like i feel like that there's a there's a certain like poetic justice there right that like, he's the guy scoring the movie you know given everything yeah. that happens in it so he is napster yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. It, it, the, the score is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree. I don't have too much to add. I mean, I like it literally sounds like Nine Inch Nails at, at some point. Like, I don't know how much Nine Inch Nails y'all have listened to, but um, like some of the more like downbeat electronic, like almost dubstep sounding like beats that are in this um, thing at time. Sounds very like, you know, n- you know, 90s alternative rock, like like exactly Nine Inch Nails. So that's that's kind of cool that he was able to drawn you know motifs maybe that he was already familiar with from his career and make those work in this movie but yeah it's really great and deserved that oscar um 
Okay, let's get into some of the deeper topics on this movie. And the first thing I want to ask is something that people often talk about with this movie, and that's really what uh, you know David Fincher's role is when, when you when you uh, when you come away from this movie, when you look back at this movie. You know, do you see this as a uh, David Fincher? You know, did a wonderful job directing this film, or is it more about you know other elements and specifically the Sorkin screenplay? Right? Is this more about the writing that makes this film work than it is about anything? David Fincher does as director, because obviously it's less stylized than, you know, a lot of the films that we've talked about. It's it's maybe a little bit harder to see, like, the director's impact right there on the screen, as, certainly as opposed to, you know, the, the writing, because, you know, Sorkin has such a distinctive style. This is the first time Fincher's ever worked with him. Um, so you notice the difference there. Um, so I guess my question is, do you see this as more of a Fincher film, as a, more of a Sorkin film, or do you think they work together in harmony and that's why the film works? Uh, Jay, do you have any thoughts on this? <laughs> I like how you ask. Like, I might not have uh, too, too much it's, to contribute. I've question. seen enough Sorkin. It is a tough question. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think... I don't know. Like, so it, it's hard, right? Cause like, I obviously know that this is the same guy that's done like all the movies that we've done in the countdown, but like, I was, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it was something about the way it was shot or like, you know, the long like shots of like, I don't know, people like walking or what, but like, you know, I, I got like weird, like almost like Zodiac vibes from some of like what I saw, you know, I, I think obviously, you know, you can't ignore the dialogue and, you know, we've, we've said this, we're just going to harp up like again from the get go, the Sorkin opening, you know, just the, you know, crazy going back and forth, but then, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like, I, I feel like they, they blend together really well. Again, obviously, you know, knowing more about it, you know, knowing that that opening scene took 99 takes, like that sounds very Fincher. Right. And so, yeah, I was going to bring that up. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, altogether, like it does work. Like, I feel like, you know, again, like the, although the dialogue, you know, obviously comes from one place, it feels like, you know, like the, the long drawn out pauses, like the shots, like, I don't know, again, like I, I was just feeling like reminiscent of Zodiac a little bit. And, you know, as a result, I feel like the two work together pretty well. Yeah. I mean, to, and to go off your point there, I think one of the things which makes Fincher's impact, I think, known here, right, it is like what you're saying, his, his exacting attitude towards like, we have to get the exact right you know, take or whatever, I think is especially important in a Sorkin written film because of how um, the dialogue has to sound a particular way, right? This is not, you know, in any other screenwriter where like, uh, I mean, you know, obviously the dialogue has to sound a particular way. It has to sound good in any movie, but um, Sorkin has always said that his dialogue or that good dialogue should sound like music. And so particularly when you're, you know, it's like the staccato back and forth, very fast paced, like it is with Sorkin, um, you know, it's very important that the actors are all in sync with that. And the dialogue sounds exactly like it is supposed to, because otherwise it can just come off really awkward because of what we're talking about, right? Because people, uh, don't actually talk like that. So the actors have to deliver it in a way that makes us wish that they did talk like that. And so I think that's Fincher's uh, role there is important because he is so like uh, meticulous about getting the right take that, you know, because that's the way he, he makes all of his movies. You can pretty much guarantee that you're going to get the best take of someone delivering the dialogue. And that is why I think all of the dialogue throughout the entire movie sounds so good. Um, it's not just because it's good on the page or the actors themselves are good, but also because I think Fincher, uh, you know, went to painstaking efforts as he normally does to make sure that this sounds absolutely perfect from 
a writing standpoint and a you know acting standpoint. Scott, your thoughts. He is the he is the director equivalent of J.K. Simmons' character. Yeah. Not my tempo. Do it again. Uh, look, I, I think that Fincher and Sorkin work really well together. You took the words right out of my mouth, guys, honestly, because Fincher is just this perfectionist and he wants this exact vision to be like his exact vision in his mind. He wants that on the screen and he will go to absurd lengths to get that in some of these scenes. And because Sorkin is also so obsessive with the way he wants everything to sound, the way he wants everything to flow. And since it does appear, I mean, I don't know how you could say otherwise that the two of their visions come together in this, that I think that the perfect match, but ultimately I think that because of the kind of director that Fincher is, when he comes into contact with a writer like Sorkin, who is also a director now and who has a vision for his films, he's a director who's able to help realize that film. And so I think that you kind of have to say, you know, this is this is a Sorkin film. I, I, I just don't know how you look at this film, compare it to everything Aaron Sorkin done has done, compare it to everything that David Fincher has done, and don't say it's an Aaron Sorkin film. I, I just don't get it. But I think that this film could not be as perfectly Sorkin as it is, if not for David Fincher. And so I think that it is more behind the scenes and, you know, around the edges of, of the film where you can see David Fincher really leaving his mark in the perfectionism of the art of Sorkin, if there's a better way to put it, I don't know. Um, but ultimately, I just think because of the way Fincher goes about his filmmaking, he's not the kind of filmmaker where you see very visibly on the screen. And this is the point we've made several times before. It's not the kind of filmmaker who leaves his thumbprint, you know, right in the center of the screen on the movie. Um, that is much more like Sorkin would do. Uh, and he's instead the kind of person who just makes sure that what you're getting is this really polished product. Um, and you get a very polished Aaron Sorkin film with the social network. Yeah. I mean, and to be clear, like the best directors are not always the ones, right. Where it's like, Oh, I'm watching the movie. I can tell that it's like, yeah. you know, Wes Anderson, you can never be mistaken about whose movie you're watching when you're watching a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. That or fact alone yeah. doesn't make him a good director. Um, he is a good director, but that, it's not because of that um, yeah. alone. But but also, yeah, I mean, kind of what you're saying, I think like some of Fincher's impact in the film may go unnoticed when you're just watching the film. But it, it may be more like what is going on, um, you know, behind the camera and stuff like because Sorkin, like, look, he's not perfect. He can overwrite things sometimes. I uh, I I think I talked to Scott about this recently, about how in the original script for A Few Good Men, <laughs> Daniel Caffey and uh, Lieutenant Galloway like make out in the courtroom at the end, which and and one of the things I've always liked about the film is that there is no romance between these characters whatsoever, because it wouldn't make sense, honestly, I think. Um, but then I read the original script and I was like, whoa, what the heck? Um, but I think there like, you you know, Rob Reiner and again, another very uh, established director was probably the one who was like, hey, yeah, maybe we don't do this. And so. Aaron, I, mean, I love I, the script, but maybe yeah. not on the makeup scene at the end. I uh, I haven't read like the original script for Social Network or, you know, if there is a version out there, right, that has like, you know, some an, an unedited version, kind of like there was for what I read for A Few Good Men. Um, but I would suspect that there are some some scenes that, um, and, you know, in some dialogue portions that Fincher was like, hey, let's we can we can lose this um, that, um, 
you know, that ultimately make the film sound more cohesive and like that Sorkin himself, because I imagine, you know, with the type of dialogue that he writes, he's probably very married and very like loves every single line that he writes. Right. And like probably totally. wouldn't, wouldn't want to part with any of them if it was up to him. Um, yeah. And and yeah, so, so 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 sometimes I think he needs like a really, you know, good director and someone like Fincher, who is, you know, seems like he's a very no BS guy who's just going to be like, look you know, we're cutting this out, whether you like it or not. Um, yeah. uh, to this point about Sorkin, I just want to, because it came up earlier and I didn't get the chance to talk about it, but you said it's weird that Sorkin hadn't gotten an Academy Award nomination. And I assume you're talking about A Few Good Men. Um, yeah, because but he'd only nominated... done three other films before it. Yeah. It got nominated for so many things, though, like the A Few Good Men. Yeah. Like, I mean, he was up for Best Picture. But, um, yeah. and like, you know, um, American president was like pretty well received. Like I could have seen that getting a sneaky screenplay nomination at the time. Yeah. And even Charlie Wilson's War. I was going to say right? Charlie Wilson's was, War would have been the only other one. It was set up as like an Oscar Beatty movie. It didn't really come through in the end. It only got, I think the one nomination for PSH, but, um, but like, I think because his screenplays are so distinctive, yeah. um, you know, not counting, I mean, Malice, now he's not counting Malice. Cause that's a weird entry in his filmography, but like, I think he there's also a co-wrote it with someone. Yeah, I think there's always a chance that his screenplays could get nominated, even if a film is only like marginally well received. But um, which, which now is basically what it, I mean, that is definitely true nowadays. Like, yeah. Like if the trial of Chicago seven in like a month is like an average movie, it's still going to be a front runner for a screenplay nomination because yeah. it's Aaron Sorkin. It's just like whether you like it or not, like his films are always in consideration for that just because of the way that they are. Yeah, I mean, Molly's Game certainly did. Um, yeah. Average film. But Steve the, Jobs, I think, did. And um i guess moneyball probably did as well but i don't know but he wrote that with steve zellian as well yeah but yeah. um but anyway um yeah I, I i think those those are all good points to to bring up there i i think both of these guys are essential to making this film what it is is i guess yeah. i think what we're all agreed on but um let's talk about that opening scene now that 99 take opening scene uh oh, because we haven't, we haven't talked about it yet <laughs> Sorry. well yeah but to talk about what makes it so great maybe a little bit more um this won't be a spoiler alert for the time this podcast comes out, but spoiler for, you know, right now when we're recording it, but I'm going to be on another podcast later this week talking about you're on other podcasts best. Yeah. I'm cheating Are you on serious? you. Um, I'm cheating on you. Uh, but uh, I, I'm going to be talking about the best movie scenes of the 2010s. And this is one of my picks, the opening scene for social network. Um, and there's a lot of things I love about it that I'll talk about in a second, but Scott, do you want to share your thoughts on it? Uh, because it is, it has kind of become like an iconic scene. Like maybe probably the most iconic scene in this film um you know 10 years later uh i'm thinking of ending things so no, um no this scene this scene is great i i don't i can't remember i so i watched this with my girlfriend i can't remember i don't think i think she had seen the movie before but a long time ago and i'm like just like hold on like the the, the one of the best lines of the 2010s is about to happen and she was underwhelmed by the line. I was like, come on, that is such a good line at the end of the scene. There's so many, though. I mean, there's it's really hard. It's hard to pick like what what even is the best line from this whole thing. But yeah, I mean, I think the absolute burn that she gives him at the end. is Yeah, I mean, that's a good one. Takes the cake. But no, I was just like, come on. Um, no, this seems this seems amazing. I think that the back and forth. I mean, like, it's just so Sorkin like. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably the most Sorkin scene in the whole film, um, which is maybe the point we're, we're trying to get at here. But uh, look, the dialogue delivery is is as sharp as you get throughout the entire film. The dynamic between Rooney Mara and Jesse Eisenberg is like, like just really works. It's like this very seemingly very down to earth woman who is 
dating and going on you know dates with this guy who is arrogant and just totally on another planet right and this like somehow in this like five minute scene gives you the feeling of like this is something that's been going on for a long time and she's been thinking of ending things for a long time and she just finally has an excuse to put herself out of her own misery uh she's like finally gotten reason enough to do it and she does it and she does it in a very uh bombastic way which is perfect and makes me cackle every time i watch it yeah we, we we've heaped a lot of praise on this it's it's all earned though um just to heap a little more on yeah i mean there's there's so much that's conveyed mm-hmm. you know not not even just about their dynamic but just like you know his like his i, I don't know deep-seated like hatred of uh rowers you know because she mentions you know uh that, that line the about like clubs. you know people who row crew right, and, and, then, and that is even i don't know yeah, yeah the, no, I mean, obviously the obsession clubs. with the final, final clubs, clubs you know or the fi- and that's final, setting up so final much clubs. of like the rowing thing right like he doesn't agree to help the Winkle to help the Winkle bosses until they tell him like, Hey, we row crew. And that's the moment where he's like, yes, I have time. Let's meet now. And so like, you know, it sets yeah, up like, exactly. Hey, this so- whole thing is basically him trying to get back at Erica because she likes guys that row crew, or at least likes the idea of guys who row crew. Right. Is, is this mean, the real yeah, scene? So, you know, do you that- think, do we know no. the historical accuracy point? Like this is totally made <laughs> up, right? Yeah. It totally yeah. Is. This has to be a dramatization. I mean, yeah. There's, so there's that, you know, his obvious obsession with like status and also yeah. just, you know, thinking that people, I don't know, who, like, aren't at these, like, elites. Like, you know, you go to BU. Like, and the fact that he, like, keeps harping on that. You don't have to study. You don't have to, like, again, like, you just, you, you learn so much about him. And, you know, you, you, uh, he's portrayed in such a negative light so quickly. Yeah. He looks um, down on people who he views as less than him. Yeah. Which it seems like is everybody, except for no, Sean Parker. No, like, I, th- I th- see, here's the thing. He, I think he hates people who are a crew because I think he views them as, like, like equals but in like a different on a different dimension right like he's superior to them in some ways but they're superior to him and others and so he has to put them down sure but i'm saying is there is there anyone in this movie he doesn't put down besides sean parker like like that he that he like actively because like, there's like there's dustin there's like dustin moscovitz right moscovitz yes. yeah, yeah. thank you so you know like we, we don't hear anything particularly good or bad about him but other than that, I feel like every single character gets put down or, you know, in the case of like Eduardo Saverin, just completely shafted. Um, so, yeah, yeah, no, but I, I totally here agree with what Jay's saying, that there's a lot that is going on in this scene, in addition totally. to it, it just being fun to listen to. I mean, look, like you said, the obsession with status is there. He's talking about, you know, how badly he wants to get into a final club. Again, that plays out later, right? Because there's a sense that he's jealous of Eduardo, who does get punched for one of these clubs. Um yeah. And and then, you know, there's honestly there's flat out like misogyny on his part. Right. And he's he's straight up saying like, oh, we only got into this place because you used to sleep with the door guy. And she's like, I did not sleep with the door guy. The door guy was a friend of mine. Yeah, I mean, you know how it goes. But um, but like, you know, even that whole attitude right there, like that is what leads to him. Like that sort of misogynistic attitude is like, hey, yeah, let's make this website where people can go just rate women based on their pictures. And that, yeah. you know, leads to the whole thing. I think the you know and another major thing right is that he basically just sees everyone in this movie as like these people are just not people to him they're just like means to some end uh, like even Eduardo who is his best friend right he's basically just using him for like some of the code and then the money and once he meets Sean Parker right who can give him basically unlimited money all that he wants and is also this like you know super cool guy who's going to all these parties and stuff like he just kicks Eduardo out on, on the street um you know, and and like the friendship or whatever Eduardo thought that they had in their relationship 
obviously meant nothing to Mark the whole time. Um, and, you know, same thing with, with the Winklevoss twins, like he uses them for their idea. Um, and yeah, like, okay. You know, I, I personally don't think what he did was, was that unethical uh, because I think the Winklevoss twins were just dumb for being like, Hey, we're just going to tell you our idea. We're not going to make you sign anything that protects our IP or anything like that. Um and and you know i think but the harvard handbook the harvard student handbook scott we don't have to get into the whole thing but anyway i think it was more about the winklevosses being dumb um that whole thing but obviously mark zuckerberg is still you know d-bag um but um, they're harvard men scott they're not dumb they're harvard men but yeah all of this stuff is is set up in the in the first scene um and you know, we see how it all plays out over the course of the movie. So I think that is what makes it brilliant. It's not just like the zingers and everything. And even Sorkin, you know, you're saying it's the most Sorkin scene ever. And yeah, it totally is. But he's also almost making fun of himself at times, like because there's the whole at, towards the beginning where she's like, it's just that sometimes you say two things at once and I don't know which one I'm supposed to focus on. Like you could say that about so many different Sorkin characters. Right? Like he, it's almost like he is, he is spoofing himself in the way that his characters will like talk really quickly and just move on to different topics without you even realizing necessarily how you got there. Um, and yeah, so, so I, th I thought that was funny as well. Um, and even the, he even does it later uh, again, when during the club scene with Sean Parker and Zuckerberg, where, he tells the whole story about like the founding of Victoria's Secret or whatever. And then Mark Zuckerberg is just like, was that a parable? Um, because that's totally something that Sorkin would do. Right. It's like, it's a simple question of like, where is your date? Uh, like, how do I know your date? And he goes off in this whole, like, you know, story that sounds really cool. And then only at the end, are you like, wait a minute, why did we just listen to this whole thing? And of course it was completely irrelevant, but it sounds cool. Uh, and so he's, he's a little bit uh, self-reflective here, which is funny to see, but, um, but let's talk a little bit more maybe about the relationship between the writing and the character of, Z of Mark Zuckerberg specifically, because I kind of want y'all uh, want to get y'all's thoughts on um, how does Mark Zuckerberg come out of this movie? Right? Like, obviously he doesn't look great. Um, but I do think that there are efforts sort of to, I, I think there's a couple of things going on. There's first of all, like I said earlier on, I think just the fact that Sorkin dialogue sounds good out of people's mouth, it makes people sound smart. It makes them sound witty. Um, just that alone, right? He, he always has something to say. Like he, he always has like the perfect comeback, um, in like the deposition scenes, wherever, like he, he is, he is that person. And so I think it, to that extent, you could make the argument maybe that that glamorizes him a little bit because obviously he wasn't like that in real life. Uh, but then there are some moments down the, you know, very end of the movie. Uh, and we can talk about the ending too right now, if we want, um, that uh, I think are trying to humanize him slightly a little bit uh, and show that maybe he feels something. Um, so how do you guys think that Mark ultimately comes out of this movie? I mean, does he just come out looking absolutely horrible? Um, or do you think that there's a little bit of redemption or a little bit of hope or optimism for him there in the end that maybe hasn't played out in real life, but maybe that Sorkin had at the time that he wrote the script? Uh, Jay? I think he comes out looking all right. I mean, I think, you know, if you can, if you can get yourself to not completely abhor this person in the first 20 minutes, I think the rest of the movie only does serve to make you like him more. Um, Cause I mean, I mean, at least to me, you know, there's something fun. I mean, we've said this, you know, about the writing, like it's fun that he talks like this and it's fun that he's like this witty and, you know, 
again, like the, the whole face mash thing is like pretty messed up. But then like, you know, immediately after that, you have that scene where he's talking, he's in front of like the, some sort of committee, basically, you know, like being charged with breaching campus rules and whatnot. And he's like, you know, I believe I deserve recognition, you know, mm -hmm. like when they're like, oh, we found you so quickly. And like, he's like, what? well, like, you know, if you'd done what you were looking for, you would have seen it written on my bedroom window. And it's like that character, like, you know, like just from there on out is like witty is like, you know, it, it, I don't know. Like, I find it fun. And then, yeah, you're right about the end, you know, just to go all the way to the end here, you know, there's that, that, that long shot of him just kind of refreshing the, you know, refreshing Facebook, waiting to see if Erica will accept his friend request. And the fact that he like goes back there too, you know, like that, I feel like shows to humanize like, you know, a fair bit. And, you know, you, I guess you could spin it in a way that's like, Oh, he really did do this all because of the girl. And it's like, but even that, like in a way, like it's humanizing. Right. So I think, I think where I landed was for the time he came out looking like not great, but like, you know, I don't think anyone was going to despise him as a result of the movie. And like, you know, he made an SNL performance or, you know, appearance, excuse me, like as a, after the film. And like, I think he came out looking okay. I think, you know, compared, I mean, I don't have a, necessarily the best pulse on this, but from what I can tell, he's not viewed nearly as positively now, 10 years later. And this movie's probably a little bit, you know, portrays him better than perhaps uh, a lot of people might feel about him, you know, Scott Harvey notwithstanding. <laughs> Scott, how about you? I don't think he comes out of this film looking very good, but I agree that he somehow made himself look worse over the last few years. Yeah. <laughs> if that's what we're saying. Um, yeah. I, I get what you're saying, Jay. And I don't disagree. Like, I think being clever and witty makes you look cool, right? Like it does, like it objectively does. But I also think that if like, if you just take a second and think about what this guy is doing, like there's, there's like weirdly, there is like one and a half redeeming moments in this film. The, which is why one of the th things with the last scene is like I, the last scene is necessary, but it also just feels like very out of out of pace with the rest of the movie in terms of like this like moment where you get to like just see Mark Zuckerberg in this light of like, like, is he putting on this act for this person, like this random like legal, you know, associate that he's talking to or does he really like does he really believe this like who is he trying to convince here like this legal associate is he trying to convince himself that he's like not a bad guy um because i think everyone watching the film is pretty convinced he's not a good guy uh because he does nothing but horrible things yeah like i don't know what hour and 40 minutes you watched after the first 20 but i didn't see many scenes in there where he where he was like redeeming himself because it just seemed scene after scene that he was just well constantly yeah. trying to so dump I didn't, on. I didn't call it redemption so yeah, much I think as just he's, like yeah. I think he's making the point that he sounds like again he sounds cool at, at times well you right? said if you can get past the first 20 minutes not abhorring him then then he oh, yeah. he comes off looking better for the rest of the movie and I don't agree with that I, I I don't think he comes off looking better um in the in the rest of the film because he's I mean like his misogyny doesn't stop in the first 20 minutes his treatment of other people not even women doesn't stop in the first 20 minutes and overall like he's constantly just talking down to people condescending most of the time in clever witty ways i will give i will certainly give you that um in very enjoyable ways but m most of the time not even say most time but in other times just like in mean ways right like and the stuff that he has to eduardo is just brutal like i know it, it, it spins some of that stuff off of on 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 sean parker and he does have the moment where he's like you didn't have to be so hard on him with it but like he still owns that like he's still responsible for all of that and so i don't think this movie makes makes him look pretty in the end and which is why i find the last scene to be an interesting choice because it very it, it feels very asynchronous with a lot of the rest of the film that's just that's just painting him in a very dark 
in a very dark light. Yeah, well, so for me, it's like right right at the end where maybe it takes a little bit of a turn to like, hey, we're going to try to like not leave you on such a sour note about this guy. And, they, and he does the same thing in Steve Jobs, too, actually. Um, it's just I, weird. I don't know if either of y'all have seen it, but... Um, but so, I mean, the w one moment, which I, I mean, I actually think is a really good moment. And I think Jesse Eisenberg, maybe one of his best moments of acting in the movie okay. is w when they are talking about, you know, the when they are when he when they're asking all the questions of how and how much was Peter Thiel's state diluted? How much was, you know, Sh uh, Sean Parker's state diluted? And it's like zero, zero. And they, you know, they close up on him and you could see that for the first time in the movie, maybe he actually feels something when he, when he's hearing all of these, you know, numbers right out of like their stock or their stakes weren't diluted at all. And then we get to Eduardo, right. And Eduardo's sitting right there. Um, the guy who, you know, he once called his friend and he's diluted his stake to whatever point of whatever percent it is. But, um, that I think is like supposed to be the moment of like, oh, well, Hey, maybe he finally realized um, that, yeah, th this wasn't exactly the best how I treated Eduardo. But then that that last shot, I mean, let's talk about it. Um, with him, you're right, sitting there at the computer, he friends Erica on Facebook, and he is refreshing the page to, like, see if she accepted or not. I think it's, there are multiple interpretations. Like, I think certainly you could see, okay, yeah, this is him, like, crossing a bridge and, like, trying to, real again, realize that he did something wrong, he mistreated Erica, and now I want to try and friend her and um, you know, make, make things better and try to be a better person. I also think it is him, possibly just him being like, Hey, you know, still in his own delusional world of like, I created this thing that is really cool and popular now. And Erica is on this thing. Right. So maybe she, she, you know, maybe she'll get back with me now. Maybe now that I have like created this really cool thing that everyone is a part of, including her, um, and I am, you know, I'm like Sean Parker. I'm, you know, rich and, and cool now um, that I'll get the girl back, which is like, you know, you could, you could watch the whole movie and say, yeah, maybe the, this whole thing is about him trying to get the girl back. Um, and if, if that's your interpretation, which I think is totally fair, I don't think he obviously he doesn't look very good uh, still at the end of the movie. If like, you know, again, he, he does this whole thing um, to try and get back somebody that he should not have been with and that he treated terribly and. He probably doesn't realize that he even treated her terribly. Uh, so I don't know. What What are your guys' thoughts, uh, if any, about the final shot? Is it is it supposed to redeem him a little bit, or is uh, or are there other interpretations that you know maybe are more a little bit more consistent with the mark that we see throughout the majority of the film, Scott? Yeah, I think I I'm more of the mindset of the first camp there that you were describing. I think it is him you know, continuing on, on a similar path that he's shown the entire movie. I, I don't super see the whole take that it's him um, trying to get the girl back. I think it's just him trying to like, I don't know, like go back and say, Hey, like it's not really to win her back, but to like prove a point, like I did this and like, you're going to accept my friend request. It's like, it almost feels like some sort of like weird, like half power apology, play, yeah. half power play kind of thing. And I think it makes him look pathetic. Like, I think it makes him look like, like just a, a sad kid who like basically threw out the baby with the bathwater in this scene. And he has been doing all these things to like, not to get back together with her, but to like dunk on her and like prove a point um, that, that like he is cool and that he is all these things, but not just to get back together with her, but to again, just to, like prove another point to her. Yeah. Maybe those, those things are like so interwoven together that the, the 
difference doesn't matter that much, whether he's trying to get back together with her or just to prove a point. Cause I think it makes him look bad either way, but yeah, I just think that the ending is like a semi it's like not redemptive, but I think it, it puts, it puts everything he's done into a perspective that you're not always grasping throughout the whole film. And that perspective still isn't like a super great one, to be honest. Like I think what happens right before that final shot is, maybe a little bit more redemptive in air quotes and this conversation he's having with um, Rashida Jones's character. But I, I, yeah, this final shot just makes him kind of look like a sad kid who doesn't have billions of dollars at this point. I mean, maybe he doesn't have billions at this point, but hundreds of millions of dollars. Jay. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm thinking about it now and I mean, I think it, it really just depends where you decide to focus. Cause I'm hearing what Scott Shelton just said about, yeah, like him trying to like dunk on her all movie. And you think about, you know, that scene where he tries to talk to her in the restaurant and she kind of shoots him down. And the very next scene, he's like, you know, we need to expand and I want to run a story in the BU newspaper. And they're like, why? And he's like, not important. And you're like, okay, like this is clearly a guy who, you know, like, you know, you, you, you see the friend request as like the power play and whatnot. But then Scott Harvey, I think of the moment you brought up earlier of, you know, when, uh, you, you you see for the first time on his face, you know, when the, the stock dilution numbers are being read off and he clearly feels something or you think about, you know, when he says, you know, you shouldn't have been so hard on him or when his lawyer says, you know, oh yeah, like, you know, we, we brought up the, the chicken torturing thing, but when we brought it up, like he defended you and Dr. Or Eisenberg goes, you know, oops, like just trying to be like, you know, I don't really care, but you clearly like, do care. So I guess it depends like, you know, where you want to put your focus. If you're, if you're kind of focusing on those like, slightly humane moments you might be like ah like you know he's he's just a sad kid but you like almost feel for him but if you're you know focusing on the 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 dunking misogyny like it it doesn't come across great so yeah i don't know i mean i I think where i landed with it was you know on, on the slight side of sad where it's just like you know you're you know you have however many million friends but you're alone and whatnot so yeah I don't yeah, know. I think it, it, I think it's like a mix of both, right? Like it's, I think you see him as this like pathetic, sad kid, but then like you know, you have this perspective of like you don't feel bad for him. You're just like this is so pathetic after like everything you've done. Like not like you're still on this, you're still on this, and, and you're hung up on it. Like you're not a nice dude, and like this look is like doesn't doesn't fit your image, and it's not redeeming at all. I'm really coming across as, as the sympathizer here, aren't I? Because I'm, I'm like, I, I'm not, I don't feel, I well, don't know. Like, no, I, I, mean, I, look, I might need to sit down and think a little bit harder about his actions in the movie and keeping in mind this is obviously a movie. It, it feels a little weird to be like saying this about a movie that's been made about like a real life person, but. I'm not sure Mark Zuckerberg is I, a real person. I don't think it's, I don't think it's clear cut at all. How, how yeah. necessary. And I think that's, what's good about it. I mean, I like the ambiguity of um, that ending. So um, I think it's it's totally fine to have the differing interpretations maybe that that you guys have. But yeah, but no, I mean, I was joking before we went on that, like, everyone loves this movie. But if the, the people who like do have some critiques for it, this is often a, a portion that I find, uh, you know, is the subject of those critiques and that maybe they feel like it does redeem him a little bit too much. And I just don't think it's that cut and dry. I mean, I, like, yeah, I, I think. It's, you know, you, you you can interpret it that way, but I don't think that the movie is selling out anything. You know, it's it's portrayal of him in the first hour and 40, 45 minutes or so. Um, 
because they try to show this one moment at the end where maybe he could possibly be perceived as human under one interpretation. Like, I, I just don't think that um, that uh, is, you know, and, and also like people are complex, right? Like even someone like Mark Zuckerberg, who, yeah, is, is probably not a very good person. And we see a lot of things that uh, he did uh, that are not very good. You know, that probably doesn't make for as interesting of a movie. I, I'm reminded of a, a movie we saw, Scott, a couple of years ago called Vice, um, where the entire movie I don't remember was, seeing that film. Yeah, I, I wish I didn't remember seeing that film. But where the entire movie, right, is just look at how awful this person is. And that, that was the entire that was the whole that was all the movie had to say. Um, and so I think, yeah, maybe you hate Mark Zuckerberg. Maybe you think he has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. But um and maybe he maybe he doesn't in real life. I don't know. But that probably doesn't make for a very interesting movie. And I think the movie is made more interesting because at the end, there is the sense that maybe he has learned something, but maybe he has he has not. It, you know, fair, fair interpretations on either side. Um, well, Scott, you have to ask yourself, should Jesse Eisenberg and Justin Timberlake spoken in Shakespeare in bed together? That would that have made it better? No, but the credits should definitely have rolled halfway through like in Vice. But um <laughs> The last thing to brief, maybe just to briefly talk about before we get into wrap up, um, is sort of the framing device for the movie because we haven't really gotten into that much. But sort of the, you know, that we're, we're these are taking place at different depositions in these lawsuits. We have Eduardo who's suing him. We have um, the Winklevoss twins and Divya who are also suing him. Um, and so a lot of the the story is being told through the testimony of these various people. And you know, we get a few moments where they you know, cut back to what's going on in the deposition room. And there's some showdowns between Mark Zuckerberg and the lawyers and everything. Um, I'll just open it up to either of you. If you have anything to say about this, you know, did this work for you? Was this a fine way to tell the story? Um, or, you know, was, did you not even really think about it? I'll go first. Um, I mean, I think it worked. And I think part of the reason I feel that way is, well, I mean, for one thing, you know, I think most people who went into this movie knew what Facebook was. And so it's it's not the kind of thing that you're like, I don't think there's any shock factor really waiting for you at the end. And on top of that, like, after seeing early on, like, you know, like, again, like what we're shown of Mark Zuckerberg and how much we're, you know, kind of led to not like him to kind of cut ahead and just be like, by the way, like, you know, this story does not have like at all of a happy ending. Like he's being sued for a lot of money by both people who hate him and like used to be his best friend. Like, I don't know. I, I, I think again, like that, that adds like a, I, I keep using like the word heavy to describe it adds like a certain weight to it. Right. That's just kind of like, I don't know. It, it, it worked for me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream to think of like another way to write this movie it works flawlessly. Scott, do you have any yeah. thoughts about this? Yeah, I, I think that there are certain scenes that work better than others in terms of like the deposition scenes. So, sometimes they do very much feel like a plot device, which is fine. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with things feeling like a plot device. It nothing has to be perfectly, you know, from start to finish like that. But I think that that earlier on, it, it often just does feel like a way to break up the action of the movie, which in sometimes can be a mistake. But with the way Sorkin writes and and how, like I said, kind of how exhausting some of the dialogue can be at times. I think that it's nice to have these like very natural feeling breaks in the dialogue, not because I mean, like you still get the Sorkin dialogue in the depositions a lot of time, but it feels like it's a very noticeable pause in what is this like progressive action over the course of the film. 
And so I, I think that the the mixing it up a little bit there actually benefits with the pacing of the film overall, which I don't know if anyone noticed from me talking about so far. I think it's paced really well. So I, I think it works really well for what it's used for. And I think they really get their money's worth out of some of the later deposition scenes as, you know, several, you know both of you were alluding to earlier with specific scenes of uh, Eduardo and Mark Zuckerberg. Look, I'm just going to say it because of these, you know, scenes, this movie is a courtroom drama uh, and uh, and Aaron Sorkin does those very well, very well. Um, like it is it is the modern day courtroom drama, because I think a lot of, you know, cases like this are not actually played out in a courtroom. They are played out in a boardroom like, you know, these depositions like we see because, you know, these cases never go to court. They're always settled. But um, and all of these cases were settled. But um, but so so I think that makes it interesting fodder for Sorkin. I think I, I mean, I just think he he's at home in that environment because the courtroom environment naturally leads lends itself to these sort of verbal spar this verbal sparring and verbal these verbal showdowns, right? That his dialogue is already just so well suited to. Um, and you know, obviously, he did it with a few good men. He did it with this movie, and we're going to see Trial of the Chicago Seven next month, um, which is another courtroom drama that uh, that he is writing and directing this time. So um, is it a Sorkin be- countdown or a Fincher countdown? I'm forgetting now. Hey, if you want to do the Sorkin countdown, we can. Uh, no, uh, I, I think we we're, we're going to take a break after finishing this one because we. Uh, we crammed this one in there after doing Nolan. So, but anyway, um, let's move into wrap up. I think for this movie, um, guys, I'll, I'll go ahead and say favorite uh, scene or moment since I already sort of uh, claimed it earlier, but the, I really love, I mean, obviously the opening scene I think is the standout, but I really love the Justin Timberlake, Dakota Johnson scene. I think it has some of my favorite lines in the movie. One of the lines, there are a few lines from this movie that I like to quote. It is a very quotable movie, but like one of the ones that I will, frequently say in my own life is uh well i guess the shoe is on the other table which is turned um which is what uh sean parker says here and then i also love like the i find it so funny the the bit where she like goes into the shower and then he calls her out there he's like oh there's a fire or whatever she comes out there's a snake snake, snake. yeah sorry a snake and she comes out and and he's like and she goes like what are you doing like i could have been killed and he's like how and she's like by running too fast and like she can't even get through she just like gives up on it halfway through uh i think that's really funny but um so you know not not a super meaningful scene or anything like that but some great dialogue and and like you know you're sean you're uh i'm sean parker or whatever like sean parker invented napster nice to meet you or what you know however it goes down that it's also great but what what about you guys way after all the crap she gave him about like not knowing her name and her major like she didn't realize this was sean parker like yeah Sorry, oh, not, probably not, knew his not, name not was Sean. Salt on that scene. I, I I think it's really funny. I just probably did The hypocrisy was like, oh my god, like. Well, he probably she probably knows his name is Sean. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't know his uh, major though. Majored in Napster. This was before you could just you know search somebody on Facebook and be like, hey, uh, I know what he looks like now. But no, um, that's not true. Stanford had Facebook. That's true. Stanford. Sean Parker didn't go to Facebook. Uh, Stanford. True. He didn't go to college at all. But um. Yeah. All right. Um, what about you guys? Favorite scenes, moments, or favorite lines, even because this there are so many memorable lines in this uh movie. Uh let's go to Jay. I'm trying to go last here because I feel so okay. bad. Like you're like, I always go last. All right, I'm like, Scott, I always go Scott. first. 
I'll go last. Go ahead. Okay, Scott, go ahead. I'll take the opening scene. I won't be interesting. I'm just kidding. No, I'll be more interesting than that. I, I think the one that's going to go for me, just because I'm just suck a, such a sucker for the technical aspects, I'll go with the, is it the Phoenix house? Uh, I don't know which one it is. Maybe it's the other one that Eduardo's tapped for, which I'm forgetting the name of. Um, but the the scene with the, with the two uh, Reznor and Ross songs are, are score pieces that are set to it. Uh, at the college party while they're doing the face mash, um, like coding and stuff. Uh, those scenes are just like, so I don't know. It just, I think it just gets you it's early on, right? Like even after the opening scene, you get the dialogue and then you get the music, like how, just how good the score is. We haven't talked about the score enough because the score is so good. Uh, and to get that scene right after that really sharp, you know, really, you know, piercing opening in terms of dialogue. And then you get this scene shortly after with the score with very little dialogue in it. That really just gets, I mean, it just gets me jazzed for the, for the whole freaking film, honestly. Uh, and it works. Everything works so well in that scene. Jay. It's tough. Um, it, it's tough. Cause again, you know, we, we, we've, we mentioned so many, I'm just going to go ahead and take uh, Eduardo Saverin's last outburst uh, at the end of the film. Again, Andrew Garfield, you know, really brings it home. And, you know, there's that, that one line of, you know, like, you know, sorry, my products at the cleaners along with my, you know, something hoodie and my FU flip flops. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't know. And then, His you know, Adidas hoodie. For the whole company or whatever it is he says. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, you better lawyer up. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I'm not coming back for, yeah, whatever. I'm coming back for all of it. And, you know, on his way out, you know, he like fakes the punch at JT yeah. and just, mm-hmm. you know, I like standing next to you. Like, it makes me look so tough and just walks out and I'm just like, yeah, I'm rooting for that guy. Like, yeah, um, this no, film he, certainly roots for that guy. He totally is. Yeah, the hero here. But um, yeah, no, good, good choices. Um, the other, another line that I like to, uh, we'll, we'll quote sometimes, not necessarily like verbatim, but paraphrasing is like, uh, well, I guess that would be the first time anyone's lied under oath then, which is really like that a line that Mark has during the uh, depositions. But show uh, me a lie. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that should just about do it for our discussion of the social network. Let's put a score on it, guys. Uh, I- I'm going to save Scott for last because uh, he's trying <laughs> to torment me. me. But uh, Jay. Ten. I, I could try to like nitpick it and come up with some reason to give it a 9.8 or something. I'm not going to do that. This movie's a 10. I've, this is like at least, I feel like at least the sixth or seventh time I've seen it. I'll probably watch it again in the next couple of years. Like, this movie's a 10. Yeah. I mean, I always say it doesn't have to be a perfect film to get a 10, but it, does, it doesn't hurt when it is a perfect film like this one is. So, 10 out of 10 for me. All right. Well. Scott, <laughs> let's make it a clean sweep, please. Not a perfect film. We didn't get to talk about the one scene that I think is hilariously not good. And that is the Harvard student handbook scene. So I will call it out now that like, how stupid is that scene guys? Like that, that is the one scene that just completely misses the mark. Like, Oh my God, guys, there's a Harvard student handbook. And it's like, what, like what? Well, look, <laughs> they're very, they're very dumb again. Like, like I said, I, th- I think this, they in real life they probably handled this situation in a very dumb way because like yeah, you number kind of one role into the skid with that number yeah number, well, well real life doesn't always make for the best filmmaking scott as you point out many times number um, one rule of ip is like you can't protect protect an idea you gotta like fix it in some something and they didn't do that so right well they had the code i guess but that's what he's saying he's like i didn't steal any of their code yeah. so that's where it's not ip theft but in spite of that i'm giving it a 10 hallelujah please um, sweep 
Cool. Um, well, there we go. That should do it. <laughs> Scott, <for>. Scott, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not going to praise you for doing the the bare minimum here and giving uh, one of the <laughs> best film, one of universally considered to be the best films of the 2010s. But universally um, strong language. Oh boy, here we go. Um, I didn't critics, know we could critics, have so much fun talking course. about a movie we were all going to give tens. Of like, I, I expect this to be so boring, but there are no absolutes in this world. I did not mean that literally every single person on earth yeah. agrees that it is one of the best films of the 2010s. But as much as you can say that something is universally considered to be a be one of the best films of the decade, this is it. Yeah, so that so that that should do it for this episode of the Fincher Countdown. Thank you for listening. Please check out our Some Like It Scott feed um, where. Uh, you can uh, find all of our other podcasts, including Some Like It, Scott, our weekly movie podcast, and Champ's Lunch, uh, our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pods newsletter. Subscribe to that. We'll be back next week. I took a break this week, but uh, we'll be back next week. Um, and be come back for our next episode of The Fincher Countdown. With only two episodes to go. And next time, we'll be talking about David Fincher's 2012 adaptation of the best-selling Stieg Larsson novel, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh, until then, for Scott Shelton and Jay Habib, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. Thank you.